Our second reading is found in the New Testament book of Philippians. Paul, who is in prison and he is expecting to die as a result of his imprisonment and his faith in Christ, wrote this letter to his beloved church in Philippi. And I'm so glad it's recorded, written down for us. Philippians chapter 3, I'll begin reading at the first verse. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is not troublesome to me, and for you it is a safeguard. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of those who mutilate the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, who worship in the Spirit of God and boast in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Even though I too have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more, Paul says, circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of God. Would you pray with me? God, we know that you have called us into this place. We know that your Holy Spirit has a unique, special word for each one of us gathered here. We pray, God, that as we give attention to you, as we give attention to your word, that we will have ears to hear what you are saying to us today. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you that you have created us to find our highest good in the worship of you and in living in relationship with you. And by your grace, you have called us to yourself. We give you thanks for this time, O oh God, and we pray that each one of us here in this place will be very sensitive and tender to your ministry among us. Through the power of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Words are very important. And I try to always choose my words carefully. 
And there are some words I avoid using. They may pop out from time to time, but hopefully when they do pop out, I, I stammer over them because they are words that say something about life that I as a Christian would rather not say about life. One of those words is the word luck. I, I refuse to use the word luck because the word luck implies a certain randomness about life and the universe. And besides that, the root of the word luck and the root of the word Lucifer are related. So I avoid the use of the word luck. I also avoid, I try to avoid the use of words like pride or proud. Because pride, of course, is extremely problematic in the Christian life. Pride is the chief of all sin, just like humility is the chief of all virtue. Anytime I feel like I want to say the word proud or pride, I, I just replace it with the word grateful or gratitude. And I usually say what I want to say in a Christian context. This morning, I just want to mention to you for a few moments that I'm very, very grateful for our relationship with High Point University. I'm very grateful for my relationship with High Point University. One of the great joys in my life is to serve on the board of trustees at High Point University. I'm so proud of High Point University in so many ways. This past um, Friday, uh, Tammy and I participated in a remarkable event at High Point University, the ribbon cutting of the new Nito and Mariana Quabain uh, sports arena there on campus. It was a wonderful, wonderful evening. But for me, the high point of the evening was walking into that new, that new and remarkable facility and seeing a huge American flag on the wall. You know, it seems like so many of our institutions of higher learning seek to almost cause us to hate our nation. I'm realistic about the flaws of our nation. We're, we're an imperfect union made up of imperfect people, but I'm very, very grateful to get to live in this land. And for me, patriotism is, is a good thing as long as I keep my life Christ-centered. Also, when I saw that huge flag there in the lobby of the new sports arena, there's three words under that huge flag that, that are used frequently by the leadership of High Point University, used frequently there on the campus of High Point University, and they're printed there under that American flag when you walk in that arena, and those three words are God, family, and country. And the the staff, the leadership at Hopewell University, we're all very grateful to proclaim that we are a God, family, and country university. You know, sometimes it seems like most institutions of higher education really try to moot that point, if not attack those concepts. But at Hopewell University, we proudly pr proclaim we are a God, family, 
and country university. And when I look at how many of our so-called church-related universities struggle and how we're thriving at High Point University, I cannot help but feel that a large reason for the thriving of High Point University is the favor of God on that institution. And also, as you know, High Point University is really the premier life skills university in the United States now. We are proclaimed that by many other organizations, by many other institutions. Premier life skills university. Life has become so complicated and so complex. We really need to every day be growing in our ability to embrace and use life skills. Life is complex, life is complicated, and we need to be teaching the generations coming behind us how to live well. A book that I read recently that, that had an impact on me is a book entitled 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do by Amy Morin. It's a it's an impactful book. I encourage it to you. 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do. And I would even add that these same 13 things that mentally strong people don't do, people who are spiritually healthy refuse to do them also. Here's Morin's list of these 13 things mentally strong people, and I add spiritually strong people, refuse to do. Mentally strong people don't waste time feeling sorry for themselves. Mentally strong people don't give away their power. Mentally strong people don't shy away from change. Mentally strong people don't worry about pleasing everyone. Mentally strong people don't fear taking calculated risk. Not foolish risk, but calculated risk risk. Mentally strong people don't make the same mistakes over and over again. Mentally strong people don't resent other people's success. Mentally strong people don't give up after the first failure. Mentally strong people know the value and the benefit of a good failure. Mentally strong people don't fear alone time. Mentally strong people don't feel the world owes them anything. Mentally strong people don't expect immediate results. And lastly, and this is what I want to speak about this morning with a little more uh, context, mentally strong people don't dwell on the past. I love the past. I love the past. I love reading about the past. I love exploring the past. We sang the great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, a few moments ago, and uh, Frank did that as a favor to me because I'll be leading some of you on a tour of Germany in a couple weeks where we will be learning about Martin Luther and the history of the Protestant Reformation and what it is that makes a Protestant a Protestant. I, I love the past. In my heart, in many ways, I am a historian, and uh, that calling has always been part of my calling to serve Christ. 
So I love the past, but I've learned over my lifetime that the past is a wonderful place to visit, but is a terrible place to live. So mentally healthy and spiritually healthy people refuse to dwell on the past. Mentally healthy and spiritually healthy people know that dwelling on the past, rehashing old conversations, focusing on regrets and hurtful, painful memories, rehashing all those embarrassing episodes from our life, constantly thinking that our best days are behind us, none of that behavior changes our past, but it can suck the life and the joy and the peace out of the present. This morning we are continuing in our sermon series on finding peace. And the specific topic this morning is finding peace with our past. In order to find peace and to find the joy that God has planned for us in Jesus Christ, we have got to develop a right relationship with our past. And that takes some effort. That takes some work. That takes some life skills. That takes some spiritual growth. We need to be careful of how we relate to our past, both the failures, the pain of the past, and the successes of our past. I remember as a first pastor right here in the city of High Point um, well over 30 years ago, being invited to lunch by my district superintendent. And I was so... Um, impressed and touched that my district superintendent was giving some time to a fresh young preacher like me. That district superintendent, by the way, many of you know because that district superintendent was Richard Crowder. And Richard and Barbara had such a tremendous influence upon my life and Tammy's life. Uh, he was also uh, my district superintendent when we had the stillbirth of a child, Sarah. So in so many ways, Richard Crowder impacted me when I was a fresh, green, young pastor in the church. But I'll never forget one specific thing he said to me over lunch that day. He said, as you make your way through your ministry, always beware of your successes. Sometimes we have a success, and then we want to do it that way the rest of our lives. And God frequently does not like repeating himself. God likes to do new things. But sometimes we had such a success in our past, we, we keep trying to drag it into our life today. That may be something you want to do, but it may very well be something you don't want to do. God's always seeking to, new, to do a new thing in a new day, in a new place. But I remember Richard telling me, beware of your successes. I also know how important it is to, to particularly create a right relationship to the painful parts of our past. A lot of us have a past that seeks daily to control us. I've had to get over some really painful things from my past. I suspect each one of you here in this room, you've had to move beyond some of the painful events or seasons of your past. In order to find the present that God has planned for us in Jesus Christ, in order to find the future, our destiny this hour is in Jesus Christ, we've got to learn a right relationship to our past. 
the person who has taught me the most about having a right relationship to my, to my past is the Apostle Paul. Particularly in this text that we heard a few moments ago. In this text, and Paul's in prison, he thinks the end of his life is coming. He actually gets free from this imprisonment to go on and do some more ministry, but he doesn't know that when he's writing this letter to his beloved church in Philippi. In some ways, he thinks he's giving them his last will and testament, and he says some really important things to those people and to us. If you look at chapter 3, look at verse 1 again, Hear these as some of Paul's perhaps last words to some people that he loved so much. He says, finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. If you know anything about Paul's letter to the Philippian Christians, you know that one of the prevailing themes in this letter is joy. He talks about joy over and over in this letter. And when somebody from prison facing capital punishment talks to us about joy, we need to listen. So he starts out in this section. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you over and over and over is not troublesome to me, Paul says. And for you, it is a safeguard. And now we see some of Paul's humanness in verse 2. Because much of Paul's ministry was carried out in the midst of controversy. Much of Paul's ministry was carried out in the midst of great personal attacks. So he had to learn how to live in the midst of that kind of environment and how to walk away from that controversy, walk away from those types of attacks. But you see as humanists coming out here in verse 2, Paul says, beware of the dogs. You've heard the text, he's not talking about our furry friends that we love so much. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of those who mutilate the flesh. He's talking about those dogs, those evil workers, those who mutilate the flesh. Let me make sure you understand who those people are for Paul. We, we know this from several places in his letters. Those were the people who were saying to other people that salvation is based upon Christ and something else. Everybody would put something different in that space of something else. But anytime you say salvation is based upon faith in Christ plus, you enter into false teaching, you enter into heresy. The group that Paul was especially attacking at this point because they were attacking Paul were those early Christians who were so close still to the Jewish movement that they were telling Gentiles, and that's really what irritated Paul, uh, to tell Gentiles this. They were telling us Gentiles that we needed to embrace Christ by faith, but at the same time, we needed to observe the Torah or the law of Moses, especially the ritual act of circumcision. So for the group that Paul is attacking, it was faith in Jesus plus circumcision. And Paul is saying that um, those are the dogs, those are the evil workers, those are the people who, and you get the picture, mutilate the flesh. But Paul then says, for it is we who are the circumcision. He's talking about us who have been circumcised in our heart by the work of the Holy Spirit. It is we who are, who are the circumcision, who worship in the Spirit of God and boast in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. We have no 
sense of significance from our flesh. We have no sense of self-sufficiency because of the flesh. And verse 4, Paul says, even though I too have reason for confidence in the flesh, because he's being so attacked, he does something that he really doesn't like doing. We know this from other places in Paul's writings. He tries to trot out his remarkable, impeccable pedigree. Look what he says. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin was one of the two tribes along with Judah that came back from the exile. And of course, Benjamin was the tribe of Israel that gave them their first king, Saul. So the people in the tribe of Benjamin tended to be proud of their lineage. He says he's of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. Always remember, Paul was a Pharisee. The only writings we have from a first century Pharisee are the writings we have from Paul. And because he was a Pharisee, he was trained in the Word of God in a remarkable way. And we see that coming out of Paul throughout all of his writings. So he says, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. That was his first relationship with us. He was such a devout Pharisee. He uh, persecuted the early Christian community. And he ends up his, his list of credentials by saying, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Quite a pedigree. An impeccable list of credentials for a first century apostle. All of that comprises the past of the Apostle Paul. Some of that was good. Some of that, like being a persecutor of the church, was bad. And again, he's talking about all the controversy and all the attacks with which he's living. Now notice how he puts his life, puts his past in context. Verse 7 to the end. Yet whatever gains I had, Paul said, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Not just knowing about Christ Jesus my Lord, not just knowing the facts about Christ Jesus my Lord. He's very explicit here, knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. A lot of people love Jesus, they're fond of Jesus, they're, they're impressed by Jesus, they respect Jesus. But Paul's talking about something beyond that. Paul is talking about knowing this Christ Jesus, my Lord. Notice the personal pronoun. He's talking about a personal, ongoing, vibrant relationship with the living Christ. And he says, all of this past stuff, even the good for my past, he regards as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Life frequently is about establishing and tenaciously holding on to right priorities. Paul's teaching us how to do that right here. He goes on and says, for his sake, Jesus' sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and I regard them as rubbish or garbage 
or refuse. If I really translated the Greek as it should be translated, some of you would call the bishop this afternoon as a very vulgar word. And I'll leave it to your imagination right here. He says, I have, for his sake, Jesus, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from following the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith, and then he offers what is one of my life verses. And I commend it to you for memorization. I want to know Christ. He's helping us with our priorities here. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death so that I will attain to the resurrection from the dead. That's what Paul's saying here. Notice how he is using his past. We should always remember our past to the extent that we learn from our past. We should always learn lessons from our past. We should always bring that which is good from our past into the living of the present. We should learn those lessons from the past so that we can intelligently interpret the present. But in light of what God in Christ is doing right now in our lives, in light of what God in Christ is doing in the future concerning our destiny in Christ, all of our past, the good, the bad, the indifference, by comparison, can be counted as refuse. It's all about priorities. It's all about keeping the main thing the main thing. It's all about remembering the proper context of all of life. Or it's all about, as I've told you a couple times, what Augustine says, rightly ordering our loves. It's disordered loves in our life that gets us in trouble. So here's Paul giving us some, some advice, some examples about how to live, about how to live in regards to our painful past, how to live in regards to our positive, successful past, how to be more present today, and how to work and live and rejoice daily to embrace the destiny this hour is in Jesus Christ. So, living in a right relationship to our past is critical for living the spiritual life. The past is a great, great place to visit, but it is a terrible place to live. I hope that all of us know how to deal with our past in such a way that it doesn't control our present or our destiny. Control of our life should be given to none other than Jesus Christ. Not our past, good, bad, or indifferent. Control of our life needs to be given to Jesus Christ. May I pray with you? God, you have offered us so much in Jesus Christ. You offer us peace for the present. You offer us joy in the present and everlasting joy to come. 
We pray, God, that we will be able to establish those priorities, that we can live in a right relationship to our past in such a way that we never, never hinder your work in our life today or in our destiny. God, we pray that we will enshrine Jesus Christ on the, on the, heart, on the throne of our hearts. We pray, God, that we will allow Jesus to be preeminent in our lives. We thank you for the joy that comes from living as a committed follower of Jesus Christ. Amen.